Father, we just, again, just uh, thank you for your word and, and all that you teach us, uh, especially in this great book of Hebrews, Lord. And, and we're in the heart of the book now, and, and there's some things that the author is repeating over and over again. And Lord, I, I know there's a reason you had him do that, and that's so that we'll get these truths down. So many of us are so dull of hearing, Lord. We're not very good listeners. We're not sharp listeners, Lord, and, and uh, this is difficult stuff to get down, and so we learn through repetition. So, Lord, I just ask today that as you repeat these great truths again, that if, if they're not getting through to somebody in this room, that somehow, Lord, you just open up their hearts and minds and just make today a special day where they're alert and, and listening very carefully, and, and Lord, that uh, they get down these great truths and apply them to their lives. And, Lord, there's such victory in the truth that you have given us here in the book of Hebrews. So I ask that you just show us the way, Lord, show us through Jesus Christ uh, and through your word. We ask that in his name. Amen. The older I get, the more I have to ask people to repeat something that they just told me. I don't know if it's because I'm getting hard of hearing or, or what the problem is, but my problem's not near as bad as the lady that uh, Vance Hebner tells about where he went to her 85th birthday and her husband was there and her husband said to her, he said, I'm proud of you. And she said, say what? What'd you say? He said, I'm proud of you. She said, what did you say? He says, I'm, he screamed at her. He says, I'm proud of you. She says, well, I'm tired of you too. I mean, not only is repetition important for people who are dull of hearing, it's also a great way to learn things. I mean, we learn a lot of things through repetition, don't we? Babies learn to walk and talk through repetition. Uh, musicians learn to play their instrument through repetition. Athletes tone their skills through repetition. Scholars become scholars through repetition. And I can remember when I first went to seminary and got there that first day at the New Orleans Baptist Seminary and I looked at the schedule of classes that were being offered and there were Hebrew and Greek and I said, I'm going to take them both. And so I, I went to the advisor and I said, I want to sign up for Hebrew and Greek along with theology and history and some other subjects. He said, man, you don't want to do that. I said, I'm up to it, trust me, I can do it. So I signed up for Hebrew and Greek and I went to class the very first day and, and uh, they, they gave me the same assignment. Easy assignment, I thought. The Hebrew professor said, learn the Hebrew alphabet, be able to speak it and write it by tomorrow morning. No problem. The Greek alphabet, learn it, be able to speak it and write it by the next morning. Well, I did all, went home and did all of my history homework, my theology homework, and the other subjects. And so by 4 o'clock in the afternoon, I started learning the Greek alphabet. And I began to go over and over and over and over that alphabet. Well, at 4 o'clock in the morning... I still hadn't learned the Greek alphabet, and I hadn't even started on the Hebrew alphabet. So I had one choice. I had a class at 8 o'clock, so I had only, the only choice I had was either make a zero on my very first test in seminary or drop the class. So I dropped Hebrew class and spent the rest of the night learning the, the Greek alphabet, and, and I made it through. But we learn through repetition. We learn all sorts of things through repetition. Learning biblical truths requires a lot of repetition. And the reason is, there's two reasons. Paul talked about it, or the author of Hebrews talked about it over in chapter 5. Remember what he told him when he started this whole 
discourse on the blood of Christ. You remember what he told them? You are dull of hearing. You're not a sharp listener. You're not hearing what I'm trying to tell you. So there's, there's two reasons why he has to keep repeating this. One is that's the way we learn. The other reason is that a lot of us are hard of hearing. And so he has to repeat these truths over and over again. And that's what he's been doing. He's been telling us over and over again about how the blood of Christ is infinitely greater than the blood of bulls and goats. I mean, that seems like something we would know, wouldn't it, without, without question. Uh, he's been telling us that the heavenly sanctuary is infinitely greater than the, than the temple or the tabernacle. Uh, he's been telling us again and again that the priesthood of, priesthood of Jesus is infinitely greater than the Levitical priesthood. And, and uh, he's been repeating the superiority of Christ over all religion. He's been repeating the super, sufficiency of the blood for salvation and fellowship with God. And he keeps going over these things and over these things so that we can get these things down because they are well worth repeating. They are essential to our faith. They are essential to our relationship with God. If we want to enter the holiest of holies, if you really want to live your life blessed by God in his presence, you're going to have to get these truths down. And you're not going to get them down if you don't repeat them over and over again. You're not going to get them down if you're not listening, if you're a dull listener. It, what's, what's a dull listener? That's, that's the opposite of a sharp listener. What's a sharp listener? That's somebody who, who hears every word and he takes that word to heart. He hears that word and he understands that word. And he's totally focused on what is being said. See, our problem is, our problem, and the reason we don't hear these things and the reason we don't take these truths to heart is that we've just got so many things that interfere with our hearing in this world. We got so many things that interfere with our hearing. I mean, there's humanism, you, all of the secular stuff that we're bombarded with every single day. I mean, I mean, you don't hear much about Jesus Christ in the secular media and secular entertainment. You're not going to get these lessons there, and so so we spend a lot of our time there, and so we become dull of hearing. We have idols that that come in between us and the Word of God and and listening to God. We have all sorts of things that that keep us from hearing. And, but probably the most subtle noise that keeps us from hearing this truth that the author of Hebrews is trying to teach us here is religion itself. You know, so many, many of us come out of various religions where this kind of stuff is not taught. I mean, a lot of you come out of denominations that, that teach really just the opposite of this that teach that somehow you're, you're in grace with God through by keeping the law, by being part of a particular church, by going through some particular sacrifice. And so those things are hard to break. See, that's exactly what was going on with the Hebrews. The Hebrews couldn't shake off Judaism. They had been Jews all of their life. And so they couldn't shake off all of the, they couldn't shake off the temple. They couldn't shake off the sacrificial system. They still felt that somehow after they were saved that there had to be sacrifices made for their sins because from the time they were a little child, sacrifices were made for their sins. And so they couldn't shake these things off. And I got to tell you, you know, it's a lot easier for a teacher to understand these truths than it is for you to understand these truths. Because when I'm up here teaching these truths, I've got to be paying attention. I've got to be paying total attention. I've got to be paying attention to these truths all week long so I can teach these truths to you. 
And so really, it's a lot harder for you to understand these truths than it is for me. One homiletician says, put it like this, he says, a teacher has no choice in the delivery of his message but to think about it. The people have to listen. You've got to make that choice. The teacher's mind is totally occupied with what he is saying, whereas the people only partially listen. And Paul understood that. The author of Hebrews understood that. So what method did he use in order to get these truths down? Repetition. Repetition of those truths well worth repeating. And that's exactly what he's doing for us here in this text. He's repeating these truths over and over and over again. And I'd be willing to bet you, I'd be willing to bet you that most of the people in this room have not gotten this concept down that he's trying to show us right here. Most of you. And I'm not saying that in a critical way. And I'm going to explain to you a little bit later. These things are difficult to get down. It's really difficult to get these truths sealed deep down in your heart. But boy, if you ever get them sealed deep down in your heart, you're going to have joy and peace and victory in the Christian life like you've never experienced before. I mean, if you feel defeated and you feel depressed and you feel alienated from God, these truths will get you out of all of that. And so that's why we want to get all of this down. So let's go back and let's begin by repeating verse number 22, where we left off last time. Look look with me at verse number 22. I mean, one of the most important verses in the entire Bible, certainly one of the most important verses in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 8, I'm sorry, chapter 9, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22. Hebrews 9, 22, everybody there? All right, and according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood. Why? Because without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of what? Of sin. You can't do away with sin without the shedding of blood. Now, there's all sorts, again, secular voices out there that tell you otherwise, that there's other ways to heaven other than Jesus Christ. There is no other name under heaven whereby man can be saved but the name of Jesus Christ. And, and his name is important because of what? Because of his shed blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. I mean, you will not have your sins remitted without the shedding of blood. All right, why? Why is that so? Well, let me tell you why. Because what does sin do? What does sin do? It kills Sin is death. So to overcome death, what do you have to have? Life. Where's the life? Leviticus 17 11. The life is in the blood. And so to overcome death, you have to have life, and the life is in the blood. So he goes on. He's, he uses the therefore. Therefore, uh, since without the shedding of blood there is no remission of sin, it was necessary that the copies of the things in heaven should be purified with these. Everything was purified with blood in the old covenant. Everything. I mean, look back at verse number 19. For Mo- when Moses had spoken every precept, when he was give- given the law to the people, look at the last part of 19. It was, he sprinkled both the book itself and all the people with blood. Why did he sprinkle it with blood? Because he knew they weren't going to keep the law. And the only thing that would overcome their rebellion against the law would be blood because rebellion kills, sin kills. Not only did he do that, look at verse 21. Likewise, 
He sprinkled the blood. He sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all of the vessels of the ministry. Everything was sprinkled with blood. The people were sprinkled with blood. The priests were sprinkled with blood. The vessels were sprinkled with blood. The law was sprinkled with blood. The tabernacle was sprinkled with blood. The mercy seat was sprinkled with blood. The altar was sprinkled with blood. Everything had blood on it. It's a bloody religion. Why? Because there is no remission of sin without blood. And I don't know how highly you think of yourself, but you are a sinner. Before you were saved, you were definitely a sinner. And so it requires blood to cover that sin, to take care of that sin. He says, therefore, it was necessary that the copies of the things in heaven should be purified with these. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. Now, that's an amazing statement right there because, wait a minute. Are you telling me that things in heaven were not pure? That they had to be purified? I mean, the heavenly tabernacle, did it have to be purified? Yeah, it had to be purified. You know why the heavenly tabernacle had to be purified? Because of God? Well, answer that question. Because of God? No. No. Does God need blood to purify himself? No, because God doesn't sin. Because of the angels? No. For who? Why was the blood taken to the heavenly tabernacle? For you and me. It had to be purified because God's going to let us in. He's going to let us in and we're sinners and we would contaminate the place without his blood. We need his blood or otherwise we we would pollute the whole place. Now, hang with me on this. Hang with me. Don't don't get lost here. For Christ has not entered the holy places, the heavenly heavenly tabernacle, or he hasn't entered the holy places made with hands. He's entered the heavenly tabernacle. Those things are just copies of the true. But he's entered into heaven himself to appear in the presence of God. Now, here's the catch. He didn't need blood to appear in the presence of God. He was without sin. Now, he was without sin until when? Until he went to the cross, and how many sins were laid upon him? All of them. So it's his godly blood that cleansed him of his sin. But he was cleansed of the sin when he ascended back to heaven, but he took something with him, and he took it. What did he take? His blood. Who did he do that for? For us. For us. See, he didn't go back to heaven empty-handed. Go back to verse 11. Go back to verse 11 and read with me. We're still in chapter 9. But Christ came as high priest of good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, nor with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood. You know what blood that is? That's the blood of God. He entered the tabernacle with the blood of God for who? For you and me. If he didn't take that blood with him, you could never go in there because you're not pure and it takes the blood to purify you. So he entered the most holy place once, get this down, once and for all time he entered with his blood. He's not going to do it again. He does it once and for all time, having obtained for you and me an eternal redemption. What's eternal mean in the Greek? 
eternal. See, repetition, I've learned that. It means eternal. Because the Bible over and over again repeats that our redemption is not conditional. It is eternal. If you've been sprinkled with that blood, how many times is he going to sprinkle you with that blood? Once and for all time. And he's opened the way for you to have it once and for all time. And he's obtained for you what? An eternal redemption. And it means eternal. And how does he do that? Because in the blood is the life. He gives you his life. And the blood cleanses you of unrighteousness and makes you absolutely righteous. Whose righteousness do you get in the deal? The righteousness of God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might have the righteousness of God in him. How much more righteous can you get than the righteousness of God? None. Zero. Guys, hang with me on this. I mean, I see some of you guys fading off and I don't understand it. I don't understand how this can't excite you. Again, I'm a teacher and I understand, you know, it's different from me. But hang with this stuff. This stuff will change your life. It'll absolutely change the way you live the Christian life if you'll get this down. If, it, if you don't care about getting it down, you probably, you probably are never going to get changed. So you better look attentive anyway. At least fool me. You know, you want to try to fool God if you're not saved, but, you know, at least fool me. Because you can't fool me, you're not going to fool God. So hang with this stuff. I know you're tired. I know we've gone over this and over this and over this, but we got a reason for it if you'll just hang with me. All right, now hang with me. I'm going to get on you if you don't. I'm gonna get the, David's going to get a stick. <laughs> He's going to wake you all up. All right, now let's go back to where we left off. Back to verse 25. Listen to what he says there. Not that he should offer himself often as the high priest enters the most holy place every year with the blood of another. Remember on Yom Kippur, the high priest went into the tabernacle, I mean, and, and into the holiest of holies, and he sprinkled the blood on the altar. He did that once a year. Not only did that, he did, did he do that, he, they, he made burnt sacrifices and sprinkled the tabernacle with blood uh, all the time, almost daily. It wasn't daily. So there was this constant sprinkling of the blood. And so he says here, not that he should offer himself often as the high priest does who enters the most holy place every year. He's talking about Yom Kippur with the blood of another. He, Jesus didn't come back and forth to the tabernacle with the blood every year. He only had to come once, once. He, he, by, by entering the tabernacle with his blood one time, he retained our eternal redemption. If that wasn't true, if he had to keep coming back with blood, what would he have to do? He'd have to keep getting right back up on the cross and dying for our sin. Look at the next verse. He said he then would have to have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now once, he keeps repeating this once. You need to get this down. Once at the end of the ages, at the last age, the church age, he has appeared to put away sin once and for all by sacrifice of himself. He, one time he died on the cross. One time he entered heaven with his blood. And when he did that, he put away sin once and for all. And if you've been sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ, if you've received the blood by grace, 
then your sin has been taken care of, all of it. Past, present, and future, it's been taken care of forever. Now see, you see the problem with denominations that teach otherwise? That somehow Christ continually suffers for our sin? That, that in order to provide us, in, in other words, it's the Eucharist that makes us holy? It, it, through transubstantiation, that somehow that uh, we get fresh blood and fresh flesh every time we take the Eucharist? What has to happen for that to happen? Christ has to stay on the cross. And that's why in these denominations that teach that, where is Christ? He's still on the cross. He's still suffering for our sins. But he's not suffering anymore. He suffered one time, once, for all time, for all our sin, so that we could obtain an eternal redemption, an eternal inheritance in Jesus Christ. Now, we've got a couple of verses here, so you, you can make it through two more verses. And here's one of these verses we take out of context all the time. And it is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. Everybody wants to prove to you that there's no such thing as reincarnation runs to this verse. And, and, and it's almost taught as if the author was just one day, to, he was teaching on these other things and decided, you know what, I need to, I need to make a case against reincarnation, so I'm going to write this verse right in the middle of all this. That's a bad way to interpret the Bible. Now, do I believe in reincarnation? No. Does this Bible disprove the idea of reincarnation? I mean, does this verse disprove the idea of reincarnation? Certainly it does. But that's not the author's point here. That's what I want you to see. He says, and it is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. Now, what point is he making here? The point that he's making is this, that Christ has done all he could ever do for you. And all of us are sinners. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And what's the wages of sin? Death. Death. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. So guess what? Every person in this room has an appointment with death. You have an appointment with death. For some of us, it'll come sooner than others, but we all have an appointment with death. And then comes what? The judgment, if you're lost. There is no judgment for the child of God. I've said this on many occasions. If you wake up from your death and you're standing in front of the white throne, uh, judgment seat, don't go, hallelujah, this is great. No, you need to kiss yourself goodbye. Because you're in deep trouble. Because what you're going to have to do at that great white throne judgment seat is give an account for every word you've ever said, for every deed you've ever done, for every evil thought you've ever had. And the wages of sin, singular, is eternal death. So where are you at if you're standing before the white throne judgment seat? You're toast. You're heading for hell. But if you're a born-again believer, if you've been sprinkled with the blood, what's happened to your sin? You've obtained an eternal redemption. All your sins, past, present, and future, have been put away as far as the east is from the west, and you will not be judged. So it's appointed for man once to die, but then the judgment, but not for us. 
Now, yeah, we'll stand before the beam of seat and we'll give it to some degree, give an account. Look, don't worry about that. You can walk away from that beam of seat with smoke all over your crispy crib and you're still going to be the happiest dude in the world because you're going to be in heaven with Jesus Christ. You might not rule as many cities as, as Matt, but you'll be, but you'll be uh, hey, you're going to be there. And that's what matters. And that's really all that's going to matter when we get there. And all of this things we struggle for in life, it'll all be gone and every tear will be wiped away and, and a smile will be put on every face for eternity and you'll be full, with, full of joy and peace for the, forever. So it's appointed for man who wants to die and then the judgment. So that's a warning he's saying. Man, get straight with the Lord now because you're going to die and you're going to be judged if you don't get straight. See, y'all made it all the way to the last verse. So Christ offered What's it say? Once. Get that down. Once. God doesn't keep, you don't, you don't, he doesn't keep sprinkling with you with your blood. You don't, you don't get saved and walk away and he says, well, give me my blood back and he sprinkles you back when you come back. No. You're sealed with the Holy Spirit. Once you believe you're sealed with the Holy Spirit, you're sprinkled with the blood. You've obtained an eternal redemption. So Christ was offered once. To bear the sins of many to those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. So just so we get him, and he repeats it one more time. Christ died on the cross once for the sins of many. How many sins did he die for? All the sins. John puts it like this in 1 John chapter 2. He says, Christ is our propitiation, but he's a propitiation for the sins of the whole world. He died for the sins of the whole world. How many times? Once. They've been taken care of. If you're in the blood and you've been given the life of Jesus Christ, your sin has been taken care of. You've got to believe that. And you're not going to have victory until you really believe that. But he died for the sin of, of many. But his propitiation, his payment for sin, is only appropriated to those who eagerly eagerly wait for his second coming. If you don't give a flip about the second coming of Jesus Christ, I heard a preacher say it this week, you're probably not saved. You could care less about the second coming of Jesus Christ. There's probably something wrong in your spirit. Man, I'll tell you what, the more I'm in this world and the darker things, I, things get, the more I eagerly await the second coming of Jesus Christ. I mean, who are those who eagerly await the second coming of Jesus Christ? Those who love him. Those who have had the propitiation appropriated to them. Those who have been sprinkled with the blood. They've been given the life of Jesus Christ. And when he comes, catch this, he will come appear the second time apart from sin. What's he mean by that? He's not coming the second time to deal with the sin issue. Once you die, once he comes, there's the warning, your fate is set. You're either in Christ or you're not in Christ. He's not coming to die on the cross again. They're going to try. But you're not going to be able to put Jesus Christ back up on that cross. People who say he's back up on that cross don't understand the gospel. They don't understand who he is. He's not going back on that cross again. He's coming for salvation. Really, the word there is rescue. He's coming to rescue me, and he's coming to rescue you. He's coming for those who eagerly are waiting for him. Are you waiting for him? 
me, do you eagerly long, his long for his return? Well, I got news for you. He's coming for you. So let me ask you a question. We finish up. Don't shut your Bibles. We're not done. Y'all think you'd ever get out this early? <laughs> Actually, I thought we would get out early, but I don't think we're going to make it. Are you a dull of hearing? Are you hearing this? You a sharp listener? Are you getting down what he's trying to tell us here? I tell you what, that stuff is hard to get down. It's easy to think you've got it, but it's really hard to get down. It takes a lot of repetition. It takes a lot of falling and getting up and falling again. But don't feel bad if you're not getting it all. If you're really not in living in that land of victory yet, don't feel bad about that. Because the Apostle Paul went through the same thing himself. He went through the same thing himself. There was a period in his walk with God where he really didn't get it. He didn't really get it. And the reason he didn't get it because he was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He had lived by the law his whole life. And so he got saved, and then he kept struggling. He kept fighting himself because his flesh wanted to go back to the law. That's what happens to us who have been steeped in some you know, legalistic denomination. We come out of it, and, and, and something keeps wanting to drag us back under the law. And we never get victory because we live under the law. Chap reminded me of a passage a couple of weeks ago. If you turn with me real quickly to Romans, go back a few books, go to Romans. Y'all know the passage. You remember Paul's struggle? Remember how he talks about his struggle over in Romans chapter 7? Go with me to Romans 7 and read with me here. Romans 7, look down at verse number 9. Listen to what he says. He says, I was alive once without the law. What's he saying there? Romans chapter 7, verse 9. He says, I was alive once without the law. In other words, when I first got saved, I knew that I was saved by nothing but the blood of Jesus Christ. And I walked in joy and grace, alive, full of joy and full of peace. But when the commandment came back, that's what he's saying there. When the commandment came back to me and sin was revived and I died. Well, can you sin without law? Without a law, you can't sin. But if you try to revive the law, you're not going to keep the law, so you're going to sin. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to those who believe. Where do we get our righteousness? we've repeated it over and over again. Where does it come from? Where does the righteousness come from? It comes from the blood of Jesus Christ, not from our ability to keep the law. So what Paul did when the commandment came back, sin revived, and I died. And he began to die. He began to kill his relationship with God. And the commandment, the law, verse 10, which is good and holy and just, which I was using to try to bring life, I found to bring death. Because the law condemns, the letter kills. Look at verse 11. For sin, now he couldn't have sinned if he wasn't under law. But sin taking occasion by the law, by the commandment, because I put myself back under law, deceived me and it began to kill me. So you can't keep the law. So when you go back to the law, you're going to break the law. And, and you put yourself under a death sentence. And you're killing your relationship with Christ. 
Paul describes that struggle. I mean, he struggled with it for a long time, apparently. And listen to what he says. He says in the struggle, verse number 19, for the good that I will do, I do not do, verse 19, but the evil I will not do, that's what I practice. I mean, the good that I, the new nature, wants to do, I, I don't do. But the evil I will not do, that's what I practice. See, when we get saved, we get a new nature, a good, it's a perfect nature. It can't get any more perfect than it is. And the law, where's the law now? It's written on our hearts and minds. So what do we want to do? We want to do good, but when we try to do it on our own, we can't do it. We struggle. We fail. I mean, we want to do good. Listen, I've, I've said all the time, if you're a born-again believer, I've, I've, you, you've heard this from me on several occasions, you can do anything you want to do because your want-to-dos have been changed. See, our problem is that we don't do what we want to do. We do the things we don't want to do. See, that's the struggle. The, how do we get the new nature? Paul talks about this in Galatians. Did we get it by the keeping of the law or by the Spirit? We got it by the Spirit. And if we put the law in the place of the Spirit, then we die because we can't keep the law because we still have our old flesh, our old minds, and our body, ap, body, ap, bodily appetites, and we... We, we let our bodies rule. That's what Paul says in verse 18. Look back at verse 18. He says, for I know in me that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. It's evil. The flesh is still corrupt. So we give our flesh power, and then we try to fix it ourselves, and we die. So how do we get the victory? How do we get the victory? That's why he's trying to show us in Hebrews. We trust in Jesus Christ for everything and not in our ability to keep the law. That's exactly where Paul concludes this thing. Listen to verse 24. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of sin and death? I'll deliver myself, right? No, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And really, in, in the Greek, there is no chapters. There are no periods. But I would break it right there. I believe that's the end of chapter 7. That's his conclusion. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death, sin and death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Why do we thank Jesus Christ our Lord? Because he's entered the heavenly sanctuary with his own blood. Once, how many times? Once and for all time. And in doing so, what has he obtained for us? A conditional redemption? An eternal redemption. And his blood is sufficient to cleanse my conscience from all dead works so that I can live righteously and serve the true and living God. Because in the blood is what? In the blood of Christ is not just life. It's the life of God. And the life of God is perfect. So if I'm trusting totally in the blood and not in myself, then I get the victory. You see how you get the victory? Just in case you don't see, go with me to Galatians. We're going to study the whole Bible. We're going to be here till midnight. So just prepare. I'm going to repeat this until you're... Never mind. Galatians, just a few books over. Listen to what he says in Galatians. Verse 21, chapter 2.
Now, let me, let me let you understand how seriously God takes how you appropriate what you're being taught here. I want you to see how serious he takes it. Paul speaking by the power of the Spirit says in verse 21, I do not set aside the grace of God, the blood of Jesus Christ. That's where the grace comes from. For if righteousness comes through law, then Christ died in vain. If you're trying to keep the law to enter into the holiest of holies, to enter into a relationship with the Lord, then Christ on your behalf has died in vain. And you're under law and you're going to be judged by the law. Now jump over to chapter 5 of Galatians. This is the last, I promise you this is the last verse. Chapter 5, verse 4. Look what it says here. Look at the warning. You have become estranged from Christ. Chapter 5, verse 4. You have become estranged from Christ, you who attempt to be justified by law. You have fallen from grace. What's it, being, what's it mean to be estranged? That's the Greek word for divorced. If you're justifying yourself from trying to justify yourself by law, you've never made it in. You've never really accepted the blood of Jesus Christ. You've never been given the life of God. And you are still alienated from God. You who attempt to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. It's all about grace. You can only be saved by grace. So if you're trying to live by the law, then that which is good is killing you. It's killing your relationship with the Lord. How do I get back into a relationship with the Lord? How do I get into the holiest of holies? You ought to know by now. One word, what is it? The blood. The blood. That's the only way you get in. There's power in the blood. And you have to believe in the power of the blood. You have to believe in the redemption of Jesus Christ. And you have to rest in the blood and nothing else. And then your life will be marked by good works. Faith without works is dead. But those works are produced by the life of God that is in you that comes from the blood. Not from you keeping the law. Man, Pastor, you keep harping on the same thing over and over and over again. That's because it's well worth repeating. Get this stuff down, and I promise you, it will change your life. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for the blood. We thank you for the power in the blood. We thank you for the life in the blood. We thank you, Lord, that we are not under law. Christ, you're the end of the law for righteousness because we believe in you. And, Lord, now the law is part of who we are. It's who we want to be, and we can only be that by your power, not by our fleshly efforts. So, Lord, I ask today that you seal these truths deep down in the soul of everybody here. Lord, because anything else means death and judgment. Lord, we just thank you for your word and, and the repetition that's there, these great truths. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen.